0: Welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to build a life in alignment with your soul. I'm your host, Kitty Waters, serial entrepreneur and co-creator of the Network for Transformational Leaders. Each week, I interview top thought leaders that are changing the world. They share their life stories on tips on how you can find your purpose. We all have a gift we can bring to the world. Do you feel dead to life? like there's more to it but you don't know where to start perhaps you don't fit in and you can't understand why are you pushing all the time and getting nowhere do you long to finally be sure which is the right path for you this podcast is sponsored by my do your dharma course this eight-week online course self-study shows you how to find your purpose The course demystifies the subject of Dharma and shows you that by following your highest excitement, you can unlock your greatest potential and create the life of your dreams. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your Dharma. Without further ado, let's dive in to the next episode. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Simon Hass. He's a teacher of yoga philosophy who specializes in applying ancient wisdom to everyday life. From the age of 13, he began studying the sacred writings of India. He then spent 10 years living in temples and monasteries in India. Simon's an author. He's written two books The Book of Dharma and Making Enlightened Choices. So I'm so keen to interview Simon because I'm fascinated by this subject of Dharma and I know that you are going to gain so much from this interview. Please be aware he's in Costa Rica so there's a slight little bit of background noise so I really empower and encourage you to get to the end of the interview. It's worth it. He delivers some amazing wisdom about how we can adopt four principles into our life and naturally we will be in alignment with Dharma. So without further ado, let's dive in. So hello and welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create your own life. And today I'm really excited about the gentleman I'm about to introduce you to. I discovered his work actually through another lady's podcast I was on. And I straight away went out and bought his first book, The Book of Dharma, And I absolutely absorbed it because it's absolutely fascinating. And Simon is an incredible writer. And so today on the podcast, we have Simon Haas. He is, well, an incredible man. You're about to hear his life story. But he is a teacher of yoga and philosophy. And he's an author of two books. So one of which is Yoga, the Dark Night of the Soul. And the other one is the Book of Dharma. So Simon, thank you so much for coming on Kitty Talks. Welcome.
1: Hello, Kitty. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for inviting (laughs) me.
0: And Simon has joined us just for you guys listening. Simon is in all the way in Costa Rica, which is incredible. I love the fact that we have this technology now. But just to give you a heads up, guys, he's in Costa Rica and it's a pretty noisy place. So we may have a little bit of a, we may have a little bit of background noise on this podcast, but you're going to hear some great content. So stay tuned. So Simon, would you mind introducing yourself to my audience and just telling them a little bit about who you are and what you do in the world?
1: Well, it's a real pleasure to be here on this show. Um, I'm a teacher of Dharma and yoga philosophy, and um, I travel and give workshops and seminars internationally. But much more than that, I consider myself to be a servant, Mm. and I love sharing these teachings, especially the teachings of Dharma. I've seen how, uh, through my own personal experience, just how powerful they are and how transformative they are. They've had such an impact in my own life that I know that they can help anyone. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I love sharing them.
0: Oh, and I so echo what you just said, Simon, because that's, you know, we're on the same mission. You know, I am so empowered by helping others grow and create amazing lives, you know, by using these teachings. So, yeah, we're definitely on the same mission. Um, But would you mind kind of, sorry, carry on.
1: Oh, just that whenever I um, I share any of these teachings, I always mm. I always let my uh, audience or readers know that for me it's a privilege because it allows me to deepen my own practice. So in that sense, the people that I'm speaking to or speaking with, I consider them to be my teacher, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's always a pleasure.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and they say that we you teach what you need to learn most.
1: That's right <laughs> mm. yes. would,
0: would you agree with that
1: I would yeah, it definitely it, it deepens one's own practice, and of course we'll talk about this a little bit further, but the teachings of Dharma we all apply them to some extent or other, so to hear the life experiences of others and and what they've been through, especially mm. through the lens of Dharma, it can help help us um. Uh, apply the principles of Dharma more deeply ourselves.
0: Mm, and actually, that was one of the inspirations for the podcast, actually, Simon. You know, by sharing, <laughs> yeah, by sharing life stories, you know, people could see themselves, their own journey in other people's life stories. So, yeah, we are definitely on the same mission. <laughs> But would you mind um, taking us back? Because one of the things that we do on Kitty Talks is we love to tell our audience and share with our audience the transformational story and the transformational journey. Because as I just said, you know, they will be able to see themselves in your life story. So take me back to when you were a little Simon Simon Hass.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, when I was a young boy at the age of 13, I began... My initial interest was actually in archaeology, so I began, um, I began looking at the ancient texts of India. Um, I don't know if, if you've heard of Schliemann. Schliemann's a German archaeologist, and at that time he was studying, he was looking deeply at the uh, classics of ancient Greece, and he thought these stories, there must be something more to them than just stories. At that time, people thought there was no historical basis to them. So he formed a team of archaeologists and went out to what is present-day Turkey and discovered the foundations of the ancient city of Troy. So, from a young age, from my uh, my my father's library, I, I began reading the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, classics of India. Wow! And I thought, well, there must be something more to it than just um, just stories. Perhaps I, I I could discover some. So I wanted to. I I began studying archaeology. I began studying Sanskrit. And I entered into these texts as deeply as I could, um, but what I found there was so exciting, so much more, <laughs> so much more valuable than artifacts buried in the ground or or, or um, under the ocean. That I gradually my interest, my focus shifted. I became much more um, much more captivated and interested by the ancient teachings, the wisdom teachings of India. Hmm. So, in particular, there's. Um, it describes how um, practicing these yoga teachings or dharma teachings, it they're designed to remove suffering from our life, especially suffering associated with time. So that, that's fear, lamentation, and confusion. Mm. Fear is misery or suffering associated with the future,
2: mm-hmm.
1: lamentation with the past, and confusion with the present.
0: Interesting, yeah. So,
1: I mean, how how uh, how interesting and how, how exciting. So as I studied these texts, I found myself um, at a little bit of an impasse. I couldn't enter enter into them so deeply. And can
0: I just say, like, to be... You said you were 13 when you were studying
1: these texts. I was,
0: yeah. And yeah. This is, was this in your kind of sphere of influence? Was your dad into, like... Because it's not normal for a th- normal 13-year-old to, to... Or or was this just something you sought out? Like, because it was deep my, within you.
1: My father has... Uh, has uh, was in the hippie era so he was uh, very interested in okay. in, a, in ancient knowledge knowledge from India in particular um, he loved the Beatles especially George Harrison <laughs> and he had met uh, uh, various teachers from India mm. and so he had a he had a beautiful library and um, and the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, the Mahabharata, mm. these texts um, I began reading them from a very young age.
0: Makes sense. And they say we choose our parents. So obviously you chose your dad for that reason.
1: (laughs) And um, so, but I couldn't enter them uh, Mm. into those texts so deeply. And the reason for that is that the genre of self-help is something that didn't exist in ancient India. It's rather, it's something, it's something from uh, contemporary Western society. Mm. So, you know, those, those uh, uh, um, viewers who have maybe tried to access the, the Bhagavad Gita directly, if you had any difficulties doing so, that's completely normal. <laughs> it's a very mm. difficult text. They're actually much more like teacher's manuals. They're designed mm. for uh, teachers to, to use them to teach. And each verse, each line contains like a universe of meaning. Great depth in, in, in each of the Sanskrit verses. So I knew I needed to find a teacher. Um, the Bhagavad Gita itself speaks about ancient lineages of teachers that are where the, the wisdom of the Gita and the sacred text is passed down from master to student for thousands of years. So I was really interested to go to India and learn from a in a living tradition. So um, as a teenager, I traveled to India. Wow! <laughs> and um, I I went to. Uh, Mathura, the area of Mathura and Braj, which is in Uttar Pradesh, central North India. Mm. It's actually the birthplace of Krishna, the speaker of the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. And I thought, you know, here I can, might be able to find a teacher. <laughs> I, met, I met my teacher um, there. Uh, he, at that time, he was in his 70s. Um, he, in 2010, he left this world at the age of about 90 years old. And I had the very good fortune of, of, of studying with him for living in India for 10 years and then apprenticing with him for 16 years wow. and studying you know, in great depth these teachings of Dharma, teachings of the Gita.
0: And how did you come to get connected to him in the first instance? So as a teen, like I'm fascinated by this, as a teenager, you took yourself uh-huh. to India. <laughs> mm. Was it a synchronicity that led you to him? Like How did that come about?
1: yes the synchronicity i would say he found he found me Uh. (laughs) i um in india i was looking for a teacher in in the area of braj and Mathura, and i did um uh it's uh it's like a ritual um anyone who travels to if you travel to some of the sacred places to india like Vrindavan, you will see people doing this it's um it's a part of it's a it's it's an aspect of yoga that is perhaps lost in translation a little bit in the Western world. It's called uh pranam mm-hmm. and dandavat pranam is like a prostration with one's whole body. So there is a, an ancient custom of doing full body prostrations around Vrindavan, which is you know quite a few miles actually. Mm. Um, and you have a you pick a, a, a stone. And you do a prostration and lay it out in front of you mm-hmm. and make a prayer and stand up behind the stone, pick it up and do that again. And you cover the whole distance with the length of your body. And it's an incredible uh, ritual that has many deep, many deep meanings. For one mm-hmm. thing, it um, it cultivates a deep mood of humility, you know, with your entire body, um, your heart touching the earth. And it quiet, quietens the mind. And you begin to hear a much deeper voice. Hmm. And so having completed that, I I prayed to find a teacher who could help me in my own journey of the soul. And within within a couple of days after that, I, I met my teacher.
0: Wow. And that's just an incredible story in itself, you know, like that a 13 year old boy studied all of the text at home and then took it upon himself to then travel to India. How are your parents about this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the very first time I went to India, which was at the age of, I think it may have been at the age of 14, um, was with my dad. Right. And then later I went again and I lived in India and that was on my own. Um, my my father's always been very supportive, and he has actually always given me quite a lot of room because unfortunately um, my mother died when I was very young, and um, it was has been difficult for my father to look after me and and um, my siblings, and so he's given me uh, he he always gave me quite a lot of space to for self discovery and uh, you know exploring the world. Mm. And um, at that time in India, of course, it's, um, you know, now you go and travel around the world or you travel to India, um, you can send texts or WhatsApp to people on the furthest corners of the world. At that mm. time, there was no internet mm. and um, no email either, really. Um, if if you wanted to write back home, it would be on an aerogram
2: mm. and
1: you would send it and it would take, you know, maybe a month or six weeks to arrive, if it even arrived. Mm. So the distances were far greater in that sense than, than now. And living in the monastery, in Temple Monastery in India, it, it also wasn't very, um, not an easy thing. There was a yeah, language barrier. Um, I had to begin learning Hindi or Bengali. <laughs>
2: wow.
1: And, um, but like the other monks, I slept on the floor on a thin straw mat and shaved my head um, and, and woke up in the morning, would wake up in the morning very early at about three thirty or four and begin meditation. <laughs> uh, but what an incredible life. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything yeah, else. Amazing. Carry on. I was gonna say one thing that um that, that's that, that is a tradition in India is also not just simply teaching from uh you know in an academic way. most of the learning would actually be by seeing the example of monks and teachers. So that's something that, you know, that's, that's so important. Um, uh, so in, in looking at, for example, at the, the, the principles of Dharma, mm. um, it would not be simply a matter of learning things intellectually. Mm, the, the sacred texts of India are actually not intended to give us information. They're intended to create transformation.
2: Mm, so, so if we're live, not actually living it. them mm, if
1: we're beautiful. not living them they just remain good ideas mm. and we have enough good ideas mm. <laughs> in the world we and, need a bit more than that
0: I totally agree and and can you um explain for for our audience because you know we discussed before we came on air how you know the word dharma has a lot of different meanings depending on the language the different indian culture or tradition so could you just talk to me a little bit more about that because i think you and i come from slightly different angles which is fascinating for me
1: well yes the, the word sanskrit word dharma it it comes from the sanskrit verbal root dhri which means to uphold or to support so we'll have a look at that in a moment but um it has different meanings according to context so in in, in buddhism dharma means the teachings of the buddha mm. um so, And in the, in, in, in the sacred, in the Vedic tradition, um, there are a few meanings. One of them is often people will translate a dharma as purpose or one's calling. Mm. And that's uh, actually that's swadharma. So in, in other words, one's own dharma, mm. um, one's purpose or calling. So the Gita speaks about that. And that's a very important and very interesting, fascinating, fascinating topic. Um, but Dharma is 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 right action it's when the quality of our thoughts, words and actions are such that the universe actually supports us in our efforts.
2: Mm.
0: yeah see it's fascinating because my the way it's been taught to me is that it's the path of right action um, action f- for the individual and for humanity at the same time which actually which actually correlates to what you're saying
1: yes. And um, so, yeah, so often it speaks about the path of, of dharma and um, the sacred texts, different uh, sacred texts uh, uh, discuss aspects of dharma. In the Bhagavad Purana there's a beautiful section that speaks about the four principles of dharma, mm. um, four principles that when, when, when lived, um, when actively lived as, as dynamic principles in our life, then dharma, dharma manifests in our life.
0: Mm. And for the, for you guys listening, this is um Simon's book. So he's written about these books in the Book of Dharma, and this for me was absolutely fascinating because it's a different angle, slightly different take on, I suppose, what well I've been taught and how I would necessarily teach my students. But what I loved about it is, like you said, it's it's living into Dharma by like by adopting the principles of truth. Dharma naturally comes into your life. So, would you be um, open to sharing the four principles with our audience?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I would love to. Um, so, it, four principles: truth or satya, truth, mm-hmm. um, purity, non-violence or ahimsa, and discipline. So, these principles are universal principles. So, um, it, it's not something that is is you know confined to one particular culture. You know. Uh, the Vedic tradition or um, the Puranic tradition, we find these four principles everywhere in in all traditions in the world, and that reflects a spiritual journey that anyone can take, and that cuts across um, gender, culture, um, background, and you know historical times. So. Most important, of course, is truth. Mm. Everything begins with truth, and the Mahabharata sometimes equates truth with dharma. Um, and so, you know, we can have a perhaps have a quick look at each of these four mm, principles. Please, yeah. When when we when we live them together, we all apply them to some extent. We all apply a certain degree of truth, a certain degree of nonviolence, some discipline. Um, but often not so consistently and often not all four principles at the same time. Mm. So usually what happens in my experience um, is that if we have a problem or a difficulty, we immediately go for one particular principle, which is discipline or effort. So we throw as much effort into um, the issue that that we have, the challenge that we have. But if our effort is not aligned with truth, if our effort isn't coming from a pure place, if our effort is violent to ourselves and to others, it doesn't actually resolve the problem that we have, it only exacerbates it. Mm. So all four principles need to be um, applied together. And these four principles are like sutras, what's known Mm. as a sutra. Um, The word sutra in Sanskrit means the tip of a thread. So maybe if we use a a modern analogy, Mm -hmm. um, I think all of... Your viewers will have had probably had the experience of um, having a roll of sellotape or some kind of tape and trying to find the end of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah.
1: You know, you put it in the light, you know, you look for the end, <laughs> Scratch you run your it. fingernail around it you know, until, <laughs> until you finally get that end. Once you have that, you can, un, you know, you can you can open it up unwrap, and and use that tape for anything that you need. Mm. So in ancient India, they didn't, they didn't have plastics, <laughs> they didn't have sellotape. So they use the analogy of a spool of thread. Mm. If you can locate the tip, mm. then you can unravel the spool and the thread may actually extend for you know many hundreds of yards. Mm. So these four uh, principles, these four words, truth, purity, nonviolence and discipline, they're just the tip of the thread. And the rishis or sages of India have given us some indication of what that tip of the thread is. But then it's for us in our own life to explore that and to unravel it and see where it takes us.
2: Mm.
0: So obviously truth is pretty self-explanatory. You know, it's around speaking our truth, telling the truth. Anything else you'd like
1: to add? Right, yeah. Yeah. That's a very important aspect of it. Um, Other aspects are... um, other aspects are being true to who we are okay and, and that's an, an aspect I love emphasizing because in our Western society, there are a lot of forces that push us away from being true to who we are. There are very particular ideas of what it means to be successful, and mm. those may be um, uh, those may be forced upon us. Even by family and or parents, they may be they may be imposed upon us by friends. Mm. Um, Every time we look at you know, open up a magazine or 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 watch the television, Mm. there are these ideas of success that are that are imposed upon us, and those um, those ideas may sometimes cause us not to have the courage to actually follow um, our own. Uh, to be true to who we are, to our own personality and nature. So I don't know if um, if you've heard of a nurse named Bronnie Ware. She's a palliative nurse. So she, she looks after patients who are sure to die. It's mm. just a matter of mm. how long. Mm. So she thought to herself, I'm not simply going to care for these patients. I'm also going to see if I can learn something from them because awareness of our mortality has a way of giving us a perspective that is often lost in everyday life. Hmm. So she began asking her patients different questions. What in your life do you feel has gone really well?
0: Hmm.
1: Um, Would you do anything differently? Do you have any regrets? And there was one regret that kept coming up again and again and Hmm. again. What's the number one regret of dying patients? Mm. I wish I'd had the courage Mm. to lead a life true to myself Mm. rather than the life others expected of me. Mm. Mm. That's the number one regret. So how how important being true to to one's nature, being true to, to oneself is. And that same teaching is found in the Gita thousands of years earlier. Krishna tells the warrior Arjuna, it's better to be true to oneself even if we make many mistakes doing so, then to follow another's path and do that perfectly. So yeah. we can have all the trappings of success. We can follow a particular, you know, career that's deemed successful. You know, we can have the big car, the, 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 the large pay package and everything. And outwardly, it can look perfect. But if we're not true to who we are, to our nature, mm. um, we'll never feel fulfilled. We'll always feel dissatisfied and empty. In, mm. in what we're
0: doing, yeah, fascinating. Because I think one of the things I work with with my students is getting them to uncover and discover themselves.
1: That's because, amazing.
0: <laughs> because we don't do it, do we? You know, like you said, we have this this view of what how we're supposed to live our lives. And then, like well, that was what happened for me. I, you know, I got into my corporate career, and when it was serving and helping people, I loved it. And then, as soon as it shifted around just va- you know, money. It just could didn't work for me. So, you know, I think it's interesting you say that because I think um, our society tells us one thing, but then our heart and soul tells us something else, and we think, right. "What's wrong with us?" You know. Uh,
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and, mm. and we have to make these career choices very early in life. Mm. Um, children are, are obligated to decide what subjects to study, and uh, you know, at college and university, and. There are many considerations that they take into account, like, um, you know, will it give financial security? Um, is, it, is it looked upon well? Uh, um, and I, I, will it please my parents? I don't want to dismiss those considerations. Mm. But the, perhaps, you know, the most important consideration, is it true to who I mm. am? Mm.
2: Does, it,
1: does it fit with my, my personality, mm. um, with my nature? That's hardly ever discussed
2: mm
0: and it's so important that we work in alignment with our with who we are, because then like exactly like you said that's when you've become alive because you're in your genius zone you're flowing you're doing what you love, and you know life life takes on a different form
1: almost in, in your genius form. I love that <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely, absolutely. The thing about truth is that it's self sustaining that's why mm. it's so it's sometimes Truth is equated with with karma because um, truth is it is self, it is self-sustaining it doesn't require any other any additional effort on our part mm. it's who um, we are yeah mm. so like uh, truth you can kick it about as much as you like it'll retain its shape mm. but a falsehood you know when we're false to ourselves or to others it requires a lot of work to maintain mm. to maintain a lie is a huge
0: yeah it's, any it's burdensome. Mm. but we do we wear masks don't we like we kind of mm.
1: (laughs) and it leads to fear anxiety uh, takes up a lot of our emotional energy Mm. um so but truth is self-sustaining so if we can build our life on truth the life we build is supported by the universe itself
0: Mm. yeah fascinating yeah because you see when you're talking i'm relating it back to what i the way i've been taught about that and so well, the way my teacher would explain that is when you work in alignment with your unique gifts and talents and your passions, which again is your truth because they are your unique passions and your unique talents, and when yes. you go in alignment with that uh, and and there's this element of social need, then you have you 're in your dharmic flow, you're in your dharmic path yes yeah, so it's very very aligned so we got truth and then could you explain a bit more about purity because i think you know for our listeners that's not such an obvious one
1: <laughs> the word in sanskrit is shaucha. so if for any of the uh your um if any for any of our listeners and 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 viewers if the word english word purity is has any kind of connotations you don't like then the sanskrit is shaucha. and um we are generally very careful what we, what we consume in terms of food and drink, right? So we like to have pure food, pure water, um, organic if we can. Um, and, and, you know, we don't want to ingest things that are toxic for us. But actually we're eating, we're, we're drinking, not just through our mouth, but through all of our senses. Through our eyes, through our ears, you know, what we listen to, what we view, um, what we think about. But we don't tend to, we may not have the same standards Hmm. for the other senses in which we um, uh, consume the world, so to speak. So purity is the ability to um, be able to differentiate between what helps us and what harms us and to be careful in what we accept within us. Hmm. So, So as someone who's practicing this principle of purity, They'll be a little bit careful. Um, you know, they'll have respect and love for everyone, mm-hmm. but they'll choose their friends wisely. Mm-hmm. They will choose their workplace wisely if that's possible. And if we're in a toxic environment, um, work environment, um, mm. that's very aggressive perhaps or that has a lot, of, um, uh, um, uh, a lot of office politics and so on, that will naturally have an effect on us. It mm. cannot but have an effect on us. So being, care- being a little bit careful in the way that we allow ourselves to be influenced in the world by our surroundings is mm. what the principle of purity is about.
2: Mm.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, because I think the way I, I was taught that was who you surround yourself with, with who you become. So,
1: yeah. Oh, well, that's very well put. Yes. <laughs> um, in, 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 the, in the sacred text of India, it's described that consciousness is like a crystal or a diamond. Mm. If you have a if you have a, a clear mm. diamond and you place it against something that's red, it'll shine red. Mm. Against something that's blue, it'll shine blue. Mm. So we t- yes, we take on the qualities of those with whom we're around naturally, mm. and they take they take on our qualities also.
0: Mm. They say that you're the sum of the four people that you spend the most time with. So. If- <sighs> From that, but they've, they've actually studied it, Simon, around right. how much money you earn, you know, you're right. th- dressing the same kind of sort of similar beliefs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I do ask my students to look who they hang around with. <laughs> <laughs> Very important.
1: <laughs>
0: so, that brings us on to the third principle
1: non violence. So, j- before looking at Ahimsa, just mm. to um, give an indication of how these principles are think for example of the exa- uh, of mahatma gandhi so mahatma gandhi he tried to apply these principles so his his movement was called satyagraha which means mm. seizing truth mm. not letting go of truth and he used the principle of ahimsa non violence and mahatma gandhi he didn't have any you know incredible political connections he he didn't have he didn't have a bank balance um, he had just a few dhotis, a few pieces of cloth.
2: Mm. An
1: elderly, fragile, fragile man was able to over was able to defeat the largest empire in the world at that time, the British, British Empire, mm. um, by applying these four principles of dharma. So imagine how you know what these principles can do for us with the small problems we have in our lives.
0: Mm. So obviously with the principle of non-violence like obviously that how how would you relate that to sort of modern day life
1: So the best I have found that the best way to apply that is, is by being becoming more more aware of our footprint of violence we can be violent to each other we can be violent to our to the earth we can be violent to ourselves so very important i find well now mm, um, to ourselves um,
0: of course yeah because how, how we talk to ourselves, you would never talk to another human being the way we sometimes speak to ourselves.
1: <laughs> That's very well put. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we all create, create these stories. We're, a sto- we're, we're an author of our own life story. And we carry our story with us wherever we go. It's uh, like the script from which we lead our, lead our life. And we're the lead character in our story. And to have a story is not a problem. But we take our story so seriously Mm. that we're prepared to, you know, lose our friends over it, fight for our story. And we rarely stop to consider, um, you know, what's the the nature of the story that we're living out? What are we saying to ourselves day Mm. in, day out? You know, I'm not good enough. I must work harder. I must make myself more lovable and attractive. This person, she's helping me get what I want. She's my friend. That person's my competition. <laughs> what if he gets there before I do? I mustn't allow that to happen. Um, I mustn't lose this without this particular thing. I'm no one. Mm. So we hardly stop to think: are these are these statements even true?
2: Mm.
1: How violent they are to ourselves and to others.
2: Mm.
1: So the ability to step back from the stories of our life, not take them so seriously, and um, Is is a way of becoming less violent to ourselves.
2: Mm.
1: Another way of becoming less violent Mm. to ourselves um, is is being true to who we are. Every time we're not true to who we are, it's a form of violence. Mm.
0: Yes, and when you look at that, you know that's as big as or as small as not not owning our own worth, or you know, staying in a job. You know, if you want to make it a comparable. it's staying in a job for example when the job isn't serving us and we're worth more and they're underpaying us you know it's 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 as things like that isn't it to give people kind of comparable examples no
1: know,
0: knowing our worth. i words. mean
1: if, if we make a timeline imagine a timeline um from 0 to 80 80 years well uh, our average lifespan for a male is 76 for a female is 74 so let's be let's be generous and say eighty. You know, we might live much longer. We might live a lot less than that. Um, the first maybe twenty years of our life were children and students. The last, I'm not sure what's the retirement age in in, in the UK. Sixty five. Oh,
0: sixty five. Yeah.
1: Sixty five. So from sixty five to eighty, it's it's a period of retirement, and we can. Um, pursue activities that perhaps we, and hobbies we might not have had time to do before. So it's great being, you know, being, uh, uh, children and students, and it's great having time at the age of retirement. What about all the time in between? Mm. If we, um, if we're not happy in the work that we're doing, we're actually setting ourselves up to be unhappy for the majority of our life. Mm. What a violent thing that is to do. Mm. Um, I think, you know, in my experience, most people, they hate their jobs. Yeah. Their favorite day is Friday and their worst day of the week is Monday. Mm. But life isn't meant to be like that and it doesn't no. have to be like that. Mm. When someone pursues their, their someone's true to their, their calling and pursues their dharma, mm. they have the immediate effect of being aligned with truth is great vitality.
2: Mm.
1: If we're feeling... Great vitality in our life—it's a sign that we're connected with truth. If we feel mm. drained and we, you know, our energy is being sapped from us, mm. that's an indicator that we're, mm. we're not in alignment with truth. So, one thing that often um, in, in in seminars and workshops, um, participants ask is, "Well, you know, I have a job and I have to pay the bills. I can't just, you know, leave it and do what I would love to do." Um, and and that may be the case. So what I I what I normally res- reply is at least make a space for doing what you really love. Make some space in your life for doing something that's aligned with who you are. And mm. what happens in my experience is that space begins to grow. Mm. As soon as we honor truth, the universe responds. Mm
0: absolutely yeah I've, i and it's it's fascinating isn't it because I, I did a work, workshop recently Simon and you know some of the the participants were like well I don't know what I'm passionate about anymore I'd, they'd lost touch so much so with what life was about and it, you know it, it, I think we can do that if we're not careful because we get ingrained in like you said this way of being which is go to school go to work earn this money come home and live for the weekends and life should not be like that. And the examples of the people I've interviewed, you know, this is the whole point of doing the interviews because when we do do our dharma, life opens up in an incredibly magical, synchronistic way.
1: That's right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so if you're listening I to this, you said about... it's worth doing
1: <sighs> it. <laughs> Kitty, I love what you said about um, like becoming, uh, not becoming so uh, aware anymore of what our nature, what our purposes, what are um, uh, passions and you know, passions and qualities and and, and personalities. Um, what I sometimes do is in a workshop I have some semi-precious stones that I put out on a cloth, on a white cloth. And you know there's some tiger's eyes, there are a few opals, quartz crystals, rose quartz, um, and I ask participants to pick one. That they immediately find beautiful, that really kind of charms them or captivates them, and to hold it in the palm of their hand and not to not to look at it or to show anyone. Mm. So then we continue, you know, maybe twenty twenty five minutes afterwards.
2: Mm. I then
1: um, um, I then ask a few individuals in the group, you know, what what gemstone did you pick? Don't look at it, but what gemstone did you pick? And usually there's you know about fifty percent, maybe just you know, close to 50% of participants, they actually don't remember anymore. They, they can feel they're holding a gemstone,
2: mm. but
1: they don't quite remember. Is Was it rose quartz or a quartz crystal? Um, what color was it? So if that jewel is like our, our nature, mm. um, mm-hmm. then imagine ignoring our nature, not for 25 minutes, but for 25 years, mm. or 30 years or 40 years. We still can feel that we have um, you know, we have a nature, but we might not be able to really easily identify anymore what it is. Mm. So um, there are different ways, yoga methods like mm. karma yoga, a beautiful method for actually awakening um, and manifesting our nature.
0: Mm. And take us through the final principle. So we've gone through, obviously, the first three.
1: Discipline. Uh, in Sanskrit, it's tapas, which actually means heat. So, you know, imagine you're making, a, I don't know, um, here they they have a, 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 an incredible dish called arroz con leche, which is um, like a rice pudding. Rice and, uh, so, you know, you can, you, any dish that you make, if you make rice or you make aros con leche, um, you can have your ingredients. You know, you can have your sugar, your rice, your water you can have you know, your pots, everything can be there, but you'll never be able to make it unless you have heat. So in the same way, these four principles of Dharma, um, we can have everything in place, but um, until we bring it into action, then mm. um, nothing really happens. Everything remains very mm. intellectual, <laughs> it remains very much on the level of thoughts only. So, Discipline is is what allows us to, um, you know, what brings um, uh, the heat of discipline brings to life the four principles of dharma. Hmm. But importantly, discipline uh, tapas has to be in alignment with truth, purity, and nonviolence. So I think maybe you know these English words are sometimes a little bit tricky. Um, mm. people Give you may a slightly different
0: meaning. Mm. Right.
1: People may associate discipline with kind of forced discipline, discipline forced upon them. But someone who practices tapas in the right way, they feel great vitality. You know, like, I think everyone has an experience of this where when they're doing really doing what they love, they can spend all day, all night on it. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel, they may even forget to eat or sleep. Mm. <laughs> and mm. they don't feel drained of energy. They feel like they have more energy.
0: Mm. Yeah, fascinating. And I think one of the things that I will always take, talk to people about is action. Because like you said, the principles of dharma can't, can't come to play unless we take the action. And one of the things I'm always talking to my students about is how the next step becomes obvious. But you have to take the first step, you know, how we get clarity through engagement,
2: Right. So yes.
0: we tend to talk ourselves out of something. We have a great idea. We have an understanding of what our passion, our dharma is, you know, what we want to go towards, but we don't necessarily take the action. And in doing and taking the action, I've always found that this path, this beautiful path unveils itself to, to you, but you have to get in the game.
1: <laughs> That's right,
0: yeah. <laughs> mm, wonderful, wonderful. And what I loved in your book was how you use these principles when you're living your life and you're, you're, you embody them. And the example you gave in the book, which I really liked, was about a woman that you worked with. And would you share that example for our audience? Because obviously she was quite tricky for you to work with. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind, because I think it's a great example of, of how we can embody these principles and use them in our everyday life. So,
1: Right. So, yeah, um, I... I do legal work with different um, with clients in the U.S. and also in the U.K. and um, that often, uh, as part of that work, I was I was working with an investment bank in the U.S. and the head of uh, PR and marketing at that time. And usually, I get along with everyone really easily. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you strike me as that uh, type. <laughs> it's all the meditation, oh, really relaxed and chilled out. <laughs> uh,
1: but on this occasion, I really struggled, and it surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> I really struggled. And um, the reason for it, I think, was that um, the, this particular head of um, PR and marketing, she would change plans very quickly. And um, I, at that time, I was living in the U.K., and of course, the time difference between California and the UK is yeah, is is quite significant. Mm, so I think nine o'clock a.m. in California is five p.m. in the UK. Mm, that's so seven was isn't a,
0: it? Uh, I think it's yes, yeah, nine and three, I think, or yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah. So if um, if uh, if there was a change of plan at nine o'clock, mm. that would be my evening, and I'd have to work mm. through the night. And um, so that you know that, that created a lot of difficulty and having spent a few nights up, um, it, uh, another issue that I had was that if there was a sensitive issue, uh, problem that needed to be resolved, then she would copy in all of the senior managers in her reply. And personally, I, <laughs> I struggle with that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to put an end to that. So I began, you know, I began writing an email to her, explaining how this wasn't working. And I thought, okay, I'm going to copy in all of the managers in my response as well. <laughs> and it you know, took quite a bit of time crafting this email. You know, when you do something that shouldn't, you shouldn't really be doing, <laughs> everything takes double the amount of energy or more. It's no no longer effortless effort. Mm. And I was just about to hit the send button. But we all have uh, an inner guide in our heart that speaks to us. And I knew intuitively that this wasn't the right thing to do. So I stepped back and I thought, well, let me consider this through the principles of Dharma. Mm. And I looked at truth. And to me it seemed to be, you know, truthful to be letting everyone know um what was happening. It's transparent, so it's in alignment with truth. And then I went to uh to nonviolence. Actually of of the four principles of Dharma, nonviolence is the most important. Mm. If there ever appears to be um a conflict between the principles, there never is actually <laughs> but yeah. Sometimes intellectually, if you look at a principle, and if, if there's an apparent conflict, always privilege nonviolence. So I was looking at nonviolence, and in doing that, considering because the this situation that she was in, you- mm, yeah. and I began to things did- see things that I had just been blinded to before. Mm. So, of course, investment banking is a very male-dominated mm. um, industry. And Coming it can be on very Talks difficult for your story. women to succeed in that industry, not because they're, they're not capable. They're highly capable uh, in many ways. We will see you next week with another amazing guest than, on Kitty than than men. Bye. But because it's so male-dominated, um, it, it's a very aggressive environment. Um, and I realized that she had only been at that company for a few months. Mm. And of all the work that she had to do, the work she was doing with me was just a very small amount of mm. a huge mountain of responsibilities. So in looking at that and considering that more deeply, my understanding of truth just completely broadened. And that's the nature of nonviolence and, and, and truth.
2: It works together. Um,
1: yeah. If our, if, 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 we're, if our nonviolence isn't flourishing, our truth also won't flourish Mm. and the other way around. If if we're closed in truth, we will tend to be violent to ourselves and others. Mm. So um, I then decided to reach out to her and to write her an email. And I decided I would copy in the whole of the company. But rather than explaining everything that wasn't working, I wrote an email um, thanking her and listing all the various things that she was doing extremely well. And what a pleasure it was to send that email. Mm. And having sent it, it completely changed the dynamics and our working relationship. Instead of, it it created the trust and it created a space where I could then privately speak to her and tell her, um, you know, what was a little bit challenging for me. Mm. And we found solutions to that and we ended up working on many, many projects that were very successful. So it's an example, simple example
0: of um, but it's how a great, to
1: play.
0: It's a great example because I think, especially when we're having some type of perceived conflict, you know, and obviously it's only our own uh, perception really that we do ne- we do go down to what this person is doing wrong, 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 wrong. Whereas actually, probably in reality. But I was reading your book, Simon, actually, and I, I was going through a period with my. I run a non-profit organization and I have a partner and she's quite a bit older than me. And you know, sometimes we don't see eye to eye. And actually I remember I was reading your book at the, the same time and it, it enabled me to look at things in a different perspective and I was communicating with her at that time. And i wanted to go to you're doing this this and this and it's really annoying me but when i was reading your book simultaneously it made me step back and i went to her when i wrote to her i said i admire and respect you for all of these reasons you know and it enabled enabled me to write to her in a frame of mind because i took that step back and like you said you see this person and all their their beautiful attributes and of course this tiny aspect that we get stuck on is is it's such a so it was wonderful because I then wrote to her in that capacity and like you said it opened a beautiful space for us then to work through the other minority bit which was we were struggling with Uh so so thank you I thank you for that because the timing was was a wonderful synchronicity yeah (laughs) Um, but I have to say I could talk to you probably all day (laughs) so could i <laughs> you know we haven't we haven't even got into the parallels between because obviously you're describing um dharma from how you how you've been learnt it and then what i'm doing over here is i'm going well this work this is kind of this element of what i look at and so i'd love to continue that conversation with you because i just find it so fascinating but i i'm also conscious of time so um how can people find you, Simon? Because I, I would thoroughly recommend anyone listening to this to read the Book of Dharma because it is a beautifully, beautiful book. And Simon explains things um, in a very simply, actually, which I like. <laughs> so um, how can people find you, Simon? What's your how, how can they find you in the world?
1: Well, thank you, Kitty. Um, you can find me on my website, which is simonhas.com. So Haas, spelled H-A-A-S, SimonHaas.com. I'm also on uh, social media, so uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook as Simon Haas Author.
0: Fabulous. And we will have all of Simon's details in the show notes. But I would suggest you listen to that episode at least three times, this episode at least three times, because you will hear different things at different points and you'll be able to translate them into your own life but Simon thank you so much for taking the time I know know, obviously you're in Costa Rica but I really appreciate you um coming on Kitty Talks and sharing your story with us
1: thank you Kitty (laughs) it's been such a pleasure
0: and we will see you next week with another amazing guest on Kitty Talks bye-bye What a great guy and what a wonderful interview. I could have talked to him for hours. He's got such a lovely energy. You can really tell that he's at peace with himself. Obviously, all the meditation and all the study that he's done. But I'm really hoping that you gleaned some little bit of wisdom from that interview that you can take home with you and you can adopt into your modern day life. I want to encourage you and invite you to join us in our Kitty Talks community free Facebook group. Come over to the Facebook group and join us. We are building lives in alignment with our soul. I will see you next week again on Kitty Talks. This podcast was sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. Create a life so good that you pinch yourself. This eight-week online course demystifies Dharma and shows you how to tune in to why you're really here. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your Dharma.